my job this morning Said forever I would hold my head up and welcome to the Kane and Rince podcast volume 3 issue 146 brutal legend you can play along with Kane and Rince volume 3 the next four issues are team fortress 2 medal of honor allied assault dragon age oranges oh i don't know again and awakening hotline miami and that's it for volume 3 head to Kane and for the full schedule the blog and links to our merchandise stall facebook google plus and youtube please subscribe review and rate us on itunes uh, joining me, Darren Gargett, in this issue is Jay, um, uh, the Wall of Death, Taylor. Howdy. <laughs> I'm trying to think of funny names, and uh, yeah, you could tell it wasn't that funny. Uh, Brian, crowd surfing, Taron. Hello, with added devil horns. Uh, hello there. And Ryan, um, throw a bottle of wee-wee, um, Haman. Brethren, it is an honour to fight by your side and die for the glory of metal! You were ready for this more than any of us. <laughs> oh, dear. Wow. So, yeah, after Psychonauts, we were all left wondering where Double Fine were going to go with uh, with their next game. And um, I remember seeing the, the, the reveal trailer. I, pre- I think it's an E3 thing, but it was completely out of what I was expecting from, you know, from the genius that was uh, Psychonauts. I was expecting a Psychonauts 2, if I'm completely honest. But what we got was Brutal Legend, a... Um, Character action game on the surface, uh, uh, released for the Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 in October 2009. Uh, yeah, it's an open world heavy metal themed action adventure game. Uh, how many games can say that? But as we all know, infamously or famously, I can never understand the distinction between the two, uh, there's something lying beneath the surface of a brutal legend that we weren't to know about. So, uh, histories with the game, and I uh, just a brief, brief history of your interest in the genre of metal because um you know it'd be quite interesting to see how many people on this panel love the genre of metal 
Um, but yeah, most importantly, histories with the game. Jay Taylor. I played the, it was the demo that actually turned me on to the game. I hadn't paid that much attention to the trailers and stuff at all. I quite liked Jack Black at the time. Um, I quite like Tenacious D, so I thought, you know, they amused me. And so I took an interest in this. I played the demo, liked it, but never bought the game straight away. Um, that came around when Leon had bought a copy of it and was doing his usual trading thing, and that was one of the games he was going to get rid of. So I, I took it off him. I said, I'll have that for a score. And um, yeah, and then I sort of played through it and yeah, quite enjoyed it, really. And your your love for the music genre of metal, does it does it run deep? Not really, no, because I'm not, like, I was never into sort of, the weird thing is, I was never into sort of metal when I was at school. I was more into mm. sort of Sisters of Mercy and all the goth stuff. So I was like, yeah, mm. <laughs> I preferred that sort of more darker kind of, you know, but, mm. you know, but anyway. Anyway, we have all the way from America, uh, Ryan, what's your history with the game? Yeah, I was a big Psychonauts fan back when that came out, and so I was really looking forward to whatever Double Fine was working on next. Um, I was all kind of ready to buy Brutal Legend when it came out, but my my roommate, my freshman roommate from college, went out and bought it opening day, and so I I didn't have to. And so I got to play his copy of it. And um, yeah, I guess that was my first time through the game, although I, I bought it Again, myself on Xbox 360, and I bought it on uh, on Steam mm. once it was released back in uh, 2013. And yeah, the music itself, I I played this game at about the same time that I was like really starting to get into metal. Like I, I was really into like uh, progressive rock and stuff at the time, but you know, this was when I was starting to develop the taste for the more kind of uh, harder edged music and. Uh, more kind of power and speed and fire that the game talks about so much. And so I think this game did a good job of kind of escorting me and giving me a guided tour of the uh, the very diverse genre of heavy metal music and probably uh, informed a lot of my metal decision-making later on. Uh, Brian, how about yourself? Uh, well, I think the love for metal came first for me. That was, um, I've always been, well, I say always been into music since the age of about 11 I think when I picked up a copy of Rage Against the Machine. So the idea of a game made by the people who made Psychonauts set in a heavy metal open world sounded great. You know, it was it, like the perfect game. So, uh, yeah, I was following it quite closely from the announcement. And then there was that hairy moment when uh, Activision dropped the game. or well, they were planning to. Pu- no, it was if Vivendi was meant to publish it, wasn't it? But then Activision mm. refused to do it. And then there was a whole lawsuit and it looked like it might never see the light of day got very panicky uh so when it was announced when ea picked it up uh i was i was there day one in the xbox ready to go mm. yeah uh so yeah i was there day one for the xbox 360 version because achievements uh you know i was it was very much of that that kind of game for me although i don't think over a thousand g'd it but anyway i ended up getting the pc version when it was in a humble.com bundle at one point and you know i think there's an amnesia Fortnite thing and it was in there so I didn't really see it as an opportunity to play the game again, but more of an opportunity to support the developer, you know, that kind of that kind of thought process. But yeah, Metal was a weird genre for me because I only really listen to it when it's on in a film or on a TV show or anything like that. Like, I think my main sort of knowledge of it is through Wayne's World. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I first saw Alice Cooper on TV during during Wayne's World and I was like, 
what the hell's going on here? Like, this is mental. Like, just a bunch of skeletons and, you know, all sorts of basically Halloween stuff on stage and some guy with black eyes and white face screaming at the, in a microphone. Yeah. Um, so I don't really know anything about the genre um, at all, really. I mean, I'm more of a electronic, I guess, rock man. I don't really know. But yeah, I, that kind of genre for me is, is, is just totally out of my wheelhouse and I have no love for it at all. So my... My um, you know, my desire to play this game came from the the fact that it was a double fine game, and they'd, they'd impressed me previously with uh, Psychonauts and um, and other games before that. Uh, yeah, so I picked it up purely based on you know the it was kind of like a pseudo sequel to um, Full Full Throttle, I guess. You know, mm, it was a yeah. guy on a bike with a jacket, and you know, it wasn't entirely the same genre of game because this is an action slash RTS game surprise and that was a point and click but you can see similarities you can sort of see Tim Schafer uh, and you know and his influence on this game uh, from Full Throttle yeah well I was, I was reading up about the game earlier and I didn't realize that uh, Schafer himself was a, a big metal fan so this was him mm. bringing oh, yeah. his love for that and I think I mean you know we'll get on to talk about the world and everything later but you can really see that there's a, a reverence for the genre in there it's not you know it's not done uh, as a that's a pastiche or anything like that, uh, or it's not just done because it was cool at the time and Jack Black was in mm. was in vogue. It was it was done from a, it came from a good place, I think. So yeah, speaking of Jack Black, we have one of for me one of the best intros to a video game ever. It's just so off off the wall. It's so different, and uh, it just but you know even though the acting within it is pretty poor, I don't know if that's done on purpose or not. I, I can't tell. But the idea is Jack Black's in front of you, like you know himself. It's all sort of FMV. And he's sort of teasing you into this uh, record shop, and he, he you know, he, he lures you in. Uh, it's all F and V and camera work stuff like that, and it's just like this amazing record shop, just wall to wall full of records. And he's he's luring you towards this this mysterious LP, and it's like you know, it's, it's got it's got a load of like one liners that would you could see inside like a, of a leaflet of a, of an album from Iron Maiden or something like you know, the power of the blah 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 is so wild and crazy. He's giving you all this spiel, and he pulls it out. And it ends up being the menu for the game where you can sort of flick between, you know, you know, continue options, multiplayer and all this lot. But the way it's done, it's sort of, it's, it's filmed like someone opening an old school, um, you know, record. And I, I think a lot of people for the time playing, you know, kids at the time playing that were like, what is this form of, you know, music playing media? Like, what's going on here? Like, I imagine they, they could have done it with a CD, but they actually went, you know, for when the genre was at its highest, uh, they went for the record. Um, does anyone else have a lot of love for this intro and the menu, or is it just me? Yeah, yeah. No, this is kind of, it It relates the uh, the theme of the heavy metal back to the idea of myth-making and taking that that record store, which is kind of like a, like a, a tome, like a library of ancient stories, and <laughs> Jack Black is, is looking through the shelves and saying, oh, there's something here that you have to see. There's a great story that I must impart. And he looks through, he's like, oh, no, is it, did somebody buy it? Is it not here anymore? Like, like this is a story that might be lost if, yeah. if this, this record was, was no longer on these shelves. And he was saying, like, I, I don't dare to buy it because it belongs to the people. Like, it's, it's supposed to be here in this store. And there's something so, so poetic about it being a record, too. Like, uh, mm-hmm. A CD and digital music is is so different because a record is actually like a physical representation of the music, and every time you 
you put that needle down and play that record, it destroys the record a little bit. And it's never going to sound quite <laughs> as crisp and quite as clear as the first time that you play it. And there's just something so, um, so perfect about that and the way that kind of oral history is transmitted and these, these legends exist in the time before, uh, before books and the time before the internet when we had to pass down legends the old-fashioned way through, through mm-hmm. voice and through scrolls. I, I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was a really, really good um, and different way to open your game. Yeah, but you can't. I can't really beat what Brian just came out. Oh, I was yeah, going to yeah. say I'm going to so, go back and look, look at it yeah. again and just admire it in light of Ryan's description of it. It does make you wish in this age of like uh, limited editions and stuff that maybe if they had packed that game in with that record, you kind of would have gone mm. for it because it was just so delicious. Although you know you wouldn't have found about it until you played the game. So, but you know, in a in a hindsight kind of way, it would have been the, one of the few limited editions and may would have gone for just because mm. it's just it's just wicked basically uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, i'd agree there the main character is called eddie riggs he's a roadie uh, for a band called uh, cabbage boy <laughs> uh, uh yeah and um you know it's, it's it's got a really good introduction in into how eddie riggs enters the um i never found out the, the name for the world like i, I checked the map and everything now, but I could, all i could just sum it up as is a heavy metal open world <laughs> but um you know uh he dies on stage uh listening to this um this, this, at first, it sounds like a real sort of cool metal band. You know, they're grunging away. And then all of a sudden, it sort of turns into like a Linkin Park pastiche, but like a really <laughs> bad one. You know, it's sort of like, wiki, wiki, and then girlfriend. And they all start singing like this really sort of, kind of like Linkin Park and Avril Lavigne mixed together. It's like a, how metal has been repurposed over the years and commercialized and has lost a lot of its spirit and soul. Where it's like, you know, little tweeny boppers are like, yeah, I listen to metal. <laughs> You know, and it's just like this this garbage, like Justin Bieber nonsense. Yeah, yeah. It's you know, it's, it's, you can definitely like it was like manufactured for you know the prime time on TV and stuff right. like that, <laughs> which is not which is not metal at all, really. No. And then, and then the whole game itself harkens back to this golden age, doesn't it? Because you were saying you can mm. find the name of the world, but I think if I'm right, it, it's meant to be it's meant to be our world, isn't it? But just a kind of prehistorical version of yeah. our world, the, yeah. the time of the ancients and of myths and things like that and Ragnarok and all that sort of stuff so yeah I like that that it ties in at that at that front end as well to that yeah and um you know the the, the first few moments of this game are, are just chock full of you know double fine comedy mm-hmm. which you know comedy's hard to do in video games as a uh, as we found out from various articles on the website maybe and uh, you know so yeah the comedy in this is you know it is i think it's pretty much front loaded like you know the first sort of first half of the game is probably funnier than the second half but yeah the, the intro introduction to that is is great and it you know it looks good and when eddie riggs gets um crushed by the um by the stage because you know roadies will dive for for the band basically you know they do everything and anything to make sure that the uh the, the show goes on no matter how bad the music there's a bit where he just before he died actually he's he's you know he's the one of the band members of cabbage boy is on the arm of the statue or on my good and i don't know how you pronounce that and he's doing this sort of weird noise that is found in psychonauts and i've, mm, yep. I've I've been obsessed with this little noise and I do it quite often because it amuses my girlfriend and that's, that's easy points. You know what I mean? Like if she's happy, I'm happy. Um, and it goes, and I love it. Yeah. I've loved it ever since Psychonauts. I think it's brilliant. And I even did the hand movement then. It's an audio, it's an audio medium. You can't see what I'm doing there, but I did it anyway. Cause it's just so, it's just so in tune with that noise. And 
That was in Psychonauts, and apparently it's something to do with um, Schaefer's brother doing it at a summer camp or something. <laughs> but either way, it's just like a little tiny thing that only super nerds will know. Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, I recognise that stupid noise that I've carried on for years in my personal life. It's just those little touches that kind of make the game a little bit special. But yeah, uh, just after that, uh, the, the statue, the stage falls on Eddie Riggs, and he, uh, he is, he, he, um, his belt buckle sort of gets infused by his blood and it sort of uh, it's, it spawns the stage uh, demon into a real life demon well I say real life he's dead at this point so it's kind of like an uh, you know und- undead underworld style demon and it takes him to the land of metal which I thought the introduction to the, the real world was good but when you see him on the pile of bones in the mm-hmm. underworld it's just you could straight away the, 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 the amount of like effort and money and stuff like that that's gone into this game it's evident straight from the off. Like you can see the, the people involved love the genre of metal, it seems. And, you know, it's, you know, it's directed by one who clearly has a love of the, the, you know, the, the, the skull and crossbones and all that's nah, pirates, but you know, the skulls, the death metal, the, you know, all that kind of mytho- mythology behind it all. So yeah, when the camera pulls out and it spins around this giant sort of pile of bones, you can just tell that, you know, double fine weren't messing around. No, no, I, that the opening section of the game, I mean the the first very first bit when you're having to fight off the monks or something is it and it's it sort of drip feeding mm. you how to use the different moves. It's it's kind of a bit of a sort of uninspired tutorially sort of section, but it it quickly ramps up. And I just remember sort of that that whole opening section being kind of edge of your seat sort of stuff as you were as you get your you, do you get your car at that point or do you think you do don't you a little bit later yeah. but yeah. And yeah, well, well yeah, you have the, they have the battle, don't you? Then you get in the car, and then you're doing the um, Halo esque escape over collapsing uh, roadways mm. and things like that. And I just, yeah, yeah. I remember that being re- really sort of, you know, full speed, uh, aggressive sort of introduction to the game. And I really liked it. I thought it fit the tone really well. I really liked when you uh, are initially thrown into this heavy metal world. You're on this this altar to Armageddon, who is this this great fire beast, which we'll learn about later. But it, it, it's playing the very beginning of Children of the Grave by Black Sabbath. And it's up to you to interact with the world and to to pull the axe out of the ground and to grab your guitar and to challenge these these monks to a fight that you see standing around and as you complete each of these tasks it adds a little bit to the children of the grave song and so right when you pull up the axe then it it launches into like the real guitar part the da na bum ba 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 and uh, it, it's so cool because you can uh, you can sit there and just let the very opening licks of that song just keep looping forever but it, it's a very cool, like adaptive musical situation. Hmm. I never noticed that. That's, that's that's quite impressive. So yeah, as you mentioned there, you know, you you pick up an axe, which is your sort of your foremost functional weapon, I guess, and it kind of handles a bit, kind of like I don't know, a God of War in ways, I guess. Yeah, that kind of character mm-hmm. action that you know you expect post God of War, and uh, yeah, I I do like the combat. This that you get given straight away. You know, I do feel like um, it mixes that up with the um, sort of the lock on with your guitar and uh, you end up chaining some moves together that at first you kind of feel a bit overwhelmed. You're like, okay, if I hold down the X button to sort of play my guitar, it will lift them in the air. But you soon learn that, um, you know, you can sort of combo moves together and Mm -hmm. successfully manage all these enemies in front of you. 
Yeah, your axe axe as your uh, axe axe, sorry, as your physical attacks. And then your yeah. guitar is like your magic. So you can do mm. like fire and lightning and explosions through your guitar. Yeah. And it's all, you know, all the pyrotechnics going on around you and stuff are, are reminiscent of a stage show, you know, uh, of a gig. And it's, yeah, it's all, it's all lavish and luscious. But going back to the, the overworld briefly and, and just how it looks, it's, it's just ridiculous how, how unique this game looks and it, it's hard to explain with words uh it really needs you you know you or you know or you the listener to go in yeah it's just full of kind of like giant monuments that are sculpted out of stone and just like just like fire volcanoes and just everything that you associate with metal you could probably find within sort of uh, in this world so basically if you see a guy in, the t- in town and he's wearing an iron maiden t-shirt you could probably guess that that would be in brutal legend somewhere yeah well i was uh, again reading up earlier i wasn't aware of this before but the uh the art was all inspired by metal album covers and mm. you know, even i mean there's a certain style that appeals to to this particular sort of you know old school heavy metal if you like which is very much kind of vikings ancient warriors you know legendary figures but that continues today now you you'll you'll get uh artists that become popular and there'll be a a cycle of their covers being developed bands taking on adopting that imagery to support their music and i think it you know it's great to see that that old stuff uh come back uh, and be sort mm. of presented in a video gamey setting and i mean let's admit let's face it um double fine show with psychonauts that artistic imagination wasn't in short supply uh, at the studio uh, i mean the, yeah the whole the whole thing but the thing that i really liked about it was that the art design in the game is is really really good but if you're into that music and you sort of you've seen the covers there's there's constant kind of ah yeah moments you know all throughout the game you see in like you know the stat the, you know the whole kind of metal statues you see uh the metal uh mountains and all that you know all the the giant guitars sticking in the ground all that kind of, i don't know there's just there's something that like yeah, it's all sort of reminiscent of all these classic albums. You sort of, you, you know, maybe a lot of people would have seen from their dads or their uncles or whatever they had mm. them in the record collection. So it's all that kind of stuff. But you know, obviously, pays a lot of. Uh, even his name, Eddie Riggs, is based on a sort of combination of was the Iron Maidens, Eddie, and the artist Derek Riggs who created him. So it's just there's there's so much of that kind of. If you know your sort of metal history and stuff, there's mm. there's just it's just absolutely inundated with little nods and winks throughout the game. I don't know. I, I don't know if you have to be too clued up on metal history though, because I think some of that stuff has been seeded into uh, certainly Brit. You know, the British heavy metal yeah. scene. That sort of stuff has become, I think, quite established. I think a lot of people recognise it, as you say, from your dad's record collection or you know the the metal kids at school walking around with the t-shirts on. So I think there's there's enough there for people who aren't sort of fans of. Mm. It. I think the the power of this this map, this world that uh, Tim Schafer and his team have created, is that it, it puts you into the heavy metal mindset by creating a world and by creating like a place to exist inside of that reflects the the values and the um, the emotions of heavy metal in a way where it's like, if you recommend your friend, you know, sit down, listen to a song. I really love this. They'll sit down and not really know how to, 
take it in. They're like, oh, it was okay. It's like, but if you had the, you know, the exact constellation of experiences that I was drawing from mm. to really connect with this music, then it would really touch you on that, on that deeper level. And that's what this does is it kind of, you know, you, you, you're driving past giant spiders that are spinning guitar strings instead of webs <laughs> and huge mm. trees that are made of exhaust pipes and, uh, you know, giant mountains and thunderclouds and, and, uh, and, and what it does is there are multiple sections of the map as well, uh, like kind of different areas of the world that all reflect different subgenres of heavy metal. So like the first right. opening area, that's like tall mountains and, uh, swords in the ground and deserts and, um, it's kind of like the like Megadeth thrash metal and kind of like the power metal ideal. Mm. And then the the snowy world is very much like black metal, like that that snow imagery and just that like the cold, pale, you know, mountains are are very much like the black metal. And then there's the real like death metal jungles and this uh, and the graveyards and the twisty spiral spiry mountains and. Yeah, it, it all just reflects different aspects of metal, and the game kind of slowly drip feeds you more and more music as you go on, as you're driving around in your car. It gives you more and more of the licensed soundtrack that kind of like fits to these different subgenres, and so you're kind of listening to the right type of music and seeing the right type of imagery. And I feel like it, it would do a good job of like teaching somebody almost how to listen to the music in the first place and like what types of mental images to connect to these uh to these sounds indeed good knowledge you got there talk about the start uh, the intro to the game again because i think it's very important to setting up the whole world you do as we mentioned earlier you get your druid plow which is your car uh, which is summoned by uh, using kind of like an ocarina of time uh sort of you know when you play your ocarina and ocarina of time you you know you press a button to get the, the instrument out and then you press a series of buttons kind of guitar hero-esque to um to do the thing so you know it's a real song and all that opponent's tune but here you, you there's one called relic razor where you can raise sort of metal objects from the ground, which involve, you know, the um, the instruments for uh, Eddie Riggs building his own car because he's a roadie and he can he can build things out of anything. And it's just a great little scene of him just looking around the environment and seeing things that you just wouldn't even associate with building a car, but somehow, you know, because of the, the magic of a roadie and video games, he, he makes a car. And, you know, he escapes 
on that aforementioned uh, you know, uh, road breaking scene, and he's uh, you know unleashed into the open world. Um, of which uh, I mentioned earlier, the the relic raising. Uh, you, you'll find that you can upgrade your car, and you can raise these relics. And you know, there's various characters around this world. I didn't know this before I actually played the game, but I, I was unaware of just who was in this game uh, in terms of like voice acting and physical appearances in this game. Uh, so. For example, when you take your Druid Plow to the um, the Motor Forge, which is a, a great name for a band, it probably is one called that already. Um, you, you enter that with your, your Druid Plow, and you find that Ozzy Osbourne is just a shop merchant, just chilling out, just selling you parts for your car. He's not just guitar. a shop merchant. He's the uh, he's like some kind of god of metal, isn't he? He's like, <laughs> <laughs> of course he is. He's Ozzy Osbourne. But you know, in terms of his part in the game, like he, he's just selling stuff to me in a shop, and that's just it's just great because it's just completely voice acted. Uh, you know, in an Ozzy Osbourne style fashion, where he's just he's just brilliant. Um, so the voice acting it runs deep, and um, I, you know, there's a lot that I don't know because of my not you know my lack of information on the the, the metal genre. But you know, we have we have Ozzy Osbourne, uh, we have Tim Curry, which is play you know if you want a sarcastic, dry sort of bad guy, you know, he's a great one to go for. Jennifer Hale. Rob Halford, Lemmy, and uh, you know, there's loads more in there. Any particular highlights from anyone else? I find myself a little conflicted with the voice act, with the general sort of casting of this game. I think Jack Black was perfect casting. If you if you watch of any any of his own stuff, whether it's the Tenacious D stuff or or any of that, you know that this guy is seriously into his his music and, and particularly mm-hmm. metal. But so that that was yeah, just absolutely spot on. But I was kind of disappointed with Tim Curry. He wasn't given room to really shine in that role. And it feels like you could have got any number of other voice actors to play that character. Which, by the way, has I I absolutely love his name as the Viculous. I swear that is that is if you have a pet, you want to call it the Viculous, even if it's a goldfish or something. You know, it's like yeah. Oh. Uh, actually, I'll give it the full title, which is what the Viculous Emperor of the Tainted Coil. <laughs> it's like, yeah, but you know everything from like Oma Golden. I just love all these names they've come up with for the characters and and for the you know the just everything about it. But uh, overall, the voice acting, uh, Mangus. Oh yeah, his character is probably my favourite of the game, just because he's got this kind of really stoned kind of uh, you know this really <laughs> yeah. kind of laid back but yet heavily stoned sort of demeanor about him and he's just i always find his scenes with uh jack white's eddie char- character is just always amusing i was disappointed with with tim curry only because apparently uh Diviculous was meant to be uh played by uh, ronnie james dio and having mm. ozzy osbourne working with you to bring down ronnie james dio would have been perfect <laughs> uh, given the the black sabbath rivalry uh, of those two but yeah no it wasn't to be unfortunately but uh, generally I, uh, to echo your point on, on Jack Black uh, having seen you know having seen him in things like School of Rock where he mm. is equal parts uh, brilliant and equal parts annoying uh, he really uh, did this part well I think he toned it toned it down almost which seems odd for a for a video game people generally deliberately act when uh, yeah. taking part in video games but he seemed to 
play it, get it, get it at the right level where you could tell there was the enthusiasm there for the character, and there was the you know that the character itself had the 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 enthusiasm and the love and the passion for yeah. the music, but it wasn't to the extreme where it was annoying like it was in School of. I've often wondered though if if having all these names in the game, you know, such as uh, you know. Lemmy and Ozzy Osbourne and and and, and that they're just the obvious too. There's there is literally the several. You've got the um, oh, and I'm lousy for names, but he's the lead singer of Black Sabbath is in there as well, isn't he? So, well, Ozzy Osbourne is the lead singer of Black Sabbath. You're thinking of Rob Halford, aren't you? Rob Halford, yeah, yeah, yeah. He he's one of the um, he's plays two characters. Judas Priest, that's yeah. right, isn't that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I'm. Oh. I'm giving myself away here, aren't I? Sort of like, <laughs> call yourself a metal fan. You don't even know what a bloody name. <laughs> but it's it just makes me wonder, because obviously we'll we'll go into that later, but like this this game, although it's full of love for the for the music and, 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 and so you know, for the subject matter, um, it, you know, kinda crippled the studio and mm-hmm. uh, you kinda think like is this did this stuff help? I mean, obviously, it helps carry the the game and carry its world, and and you know, because a lot of the characters even look the same. Like you know, uh, Lemmy's character, it, it, you know, you can tell that it's Lemmy. Same with Ozzy Osbourne, and they're probably the only two that actually stand there in terms of their likenesses. But um, but you do kind of think like, did was did this stuff kind of impact on all the the cost of this thing? I mean, I don't know how much it actually cost in general, but obviously they weren't a studio that was used to large budgets. No, no, no. But in a way, it's kind of uh, the double fine story is in itself kind of a very metal sort of thing, you know, that they they were a studio that, you know, had all this money thrown at them they got big they put out this big budget production and then it and it almost broke them and then they went back and went back to basics and that birthed all the um downloadable games that sort of really gave them a, a creative uh kick and a, a new lease of life so so in a way yeah, it was we a got kind a of, stacking and costume yeah. quest after this yeah and what was the, the tank one as well i can't remember Iron Brigade. Iron Brigade, that was it, yeah. You were trenched, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I do remember after the release of Brutal Legend, like the sales weren't great. I think in total, after, you know, now it's grossed about 2 million in sales, which is, you know, who, who knows how well that's done for them. But I remember sort of Tim Schafer coming out, especially during like the Kickstarter, you know, when they announced that Kickstarter. They were like, yeah, you do realise that Brutal Legend costs like loads more than this to make. And it kind of put everything into perspective. So... They must have spent a fair bit of, you know, a bit of wonga on this, um, on this game to get everything involved. Like if you just, if you just look at it just briefly in a, in a, you know, in a video or whatever, you can just tell that the amount of like art that's gone into this game and, you know, the voice acting talent, you know. Well, the licensed soundtrack as well must have cost a a pretty penny because, I mean, you know, these aren't, these are known tracks and, and big tracks and, and despite them being probably sort of 30 odd, years old at the time in some cases it, it, it's kind of yeah that stuff can still add plenty of zeros to a budget you know mm. yeah especially when there's a, a, in total 107 tracks from 75 bands you know they're, they're not going to just give them away to um is, is know, there that many on. tracks because yeah. i've no yeah. idea i've never looked into how many actual tracks there were in the the soundtrack that's kind of crazy yeah the <laughs> the in-car radio was it's the kind of in-car yeah. radio i wish you could drive around with in something like grand theft auto you know mm-hmm. i know you get your metal selection in that but it's usually mm-hmm. a, a loop of about 15 songs so uh, yeah this was great yeah the, the licensed soundtrack in brutal legend is probably the best soundtrack in any video game uh, i mean if you're into the whole metal thing but 
I, I really liked how there was a nice mix of like the more well-known tracks, like the, you know, the high speed dirt and the um, painkiller and also like a, a bunch of really kind of deeper cuts, like things that you might not know about unless you're really entrenched in the metal world. Uh, so bands like uh, um, Three Inches of Blood was in there and uh, whoever did uh, Catherine Ray Sunshine, like there's some like wonderful, wonderful songs that this is probably introducing even some hardcore metal fans to. And you can tell that, you know, Tim Schafer and whoever he consulted with on the soundtrack has a uh, deep affection for the genre and has a wide knowledge of of the real kind of movers and shakers. And it's a nice mix of, you know, stuff not only from back in the 1970s, but even like real modern metal, like uh, Death Clock is in there and Three Inches of Blood, which I said earlier. There's uh, some nice modern stuff as well. Yeah, so uh, just just looking at the list now, I didn't, I didn't realize Mastodon, were a pretty big uh, sort of prog metal type band now that they, they, they were in there and that was a good few years before they took off properly i think and uh and then as you say you got bands like rotting christ who like it's a really dark black metal yeah you get like a cradle of filth and demu Borgir. yeah yeah real diverse real diverse so yeah uh once you're in the the underworld as it were and you know you, you've got your your basically your tutorial out the way your camp is based at um, a place called blade henge which again could be a great name for a, a <laughs> an artist or, a, or an album or something. They're probably it's probably already one now. Who knows? And your 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 sort of your first kind of mission really is to just patrol the area, I guess, and have a look around and see what's going on. Like you know, you've probably got a, an actual main objective in the game, but the the world it presents in front of you is just too irresistible to explore. Like it's just like it's full of collectibles for a starter, which you know you, you can unlock. Um, you know, with with, with various moves that you learn later on but you just kind of want to just find this kind of stuff as you drive around you know there are side missions in there which i'm I'm not a big fan of and you know the fact that there's no jumping in you know eddie riggs can't jump via a button in a very again very sort of ocarina of time issue it did feel a bit like it was hampering his character a bit but the open world exploration for me i just it's very compelling and for someone who doesn't really like to spend loads of time doing that kind of stuff like this one definitely got me because the things that you can find in terms of collectibles, like um, like th- these weird statues with sort of like gimp balls in their mouth, I guess it is. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's kind of like, it's just so appealing to my weird brain. And the fact that they're quite identifiable. And I think that's a, ma- that's a major thing of, you know, making you want to spend a lot of time in this open world is to make things quite accessible on the eye as well as on the map. You know, it, it kind of, it should, it should not tell you everything, yeah, but it should tell you enough to help the, you know, help the player move from, collectible to collectible and there's like there's fireflies in the sky and there's sort of weird lore moments where you have to break the chains off this goblin type statue to uh, learn some more about the story uh but yeah um the the open world how do people how do people feel about it i mean you know there are a lot of people will bring up the ocarina of time comparison you know or a metal ocarina or something like that and i can see it i can definitely see it because like you know you drew a plow, plow is basically your opponent and you summon it in, in a very similar way uh but the people they spend a lot of time doing the open worldy bits. Pretty much all I did, really. Once I got yeah. the story out of the way, it's the same with all open world games. If they if they put stuff in there to find, uh, you know, whether it be some form of collectible and, and it, it goes some way to upgrading, um, I spend hours doing that stuff, and I, I did on on this game. It's just 
and I still uh, I still haven't found them all. So and it's always that thing where you think, oh, just where the hell do they put these things? Because like, yeah. I've been all over this thing, and you still can't find them. But I enjoyed all that stuff. I really liked um, the thing with. I think I got all the story ones because they were the ones that I went for specifically. Because I one of the few thing, one of the, the many things I actually like about this game are the actual. Um, the illustrations you see when they when they mm. ha- they tell the sort of backstory and the history um, of kind of well at first it's it's kind of you think it's giving away the story of the world but then it actually sort of you realise it's actually basically giving Eddie's backstory away as well so but there are these amazing sort of black and white very stark very sort of angular kind of drawings and, mm. and almost like just like a pen and ink kind of thing but they're really really good I really liked the way they were done. And, you know, I like the voiceover as well. I can't, I have no idea who did the sort of narration to these things, but they were, yeah, really cool. Yeah. Those, uh, those legends are absolutely one of the highlights of the game for me. And, you know, listeners right now, pause and go to YouTube and just search for these legends. And there's a, you know, nice super cut of 15 minutes with all of them stitched together, but they are really, um, really fantastic they talk about some of the lore behind the world and it all kind of revolves around this this group of of hideous monsters called the first ones that were so ugly they couldn't even bear to look at themselves and so they they drenched the world in darkness until that darkness was broken by a great fire beast called armageddon whose flesh was made of steel and who erupted fire from his very body he was called the cremator of the sky and his metal body burned so brightly, it illuminated the world and all the hateful creatures. And they hated him for this, and so they, they rose up and destroyed him using the power of music. And his metal body uh, exploded and buried itself in the world, and his fire became the sun, and his his terrifying death roar can still echo through the world today. And like all this kind of like great world building stuff that also serves as like a nice instruction manual as to how to appreciate metal music Uh, a bit later on one of my favorite uh videos from this uh from this lore series talks about the the race of titans and it says uh, you know from this collision of artistic passion invention and sonic overload a new type of music was born it was as hard and heavy as the fire beast metallic flesh. It had the power of his blood, the heat of his fire, the speed of his flight, and the mighty roar of his death cry. But it also <laughs> had the angelic beauty of Atulia's song and the touch of her mournful wail. It was the anthem of the people, and they called it heavy metal. And I'm like, that is exactly what heavy metal is about. Like, there's no better way to consolidate it than through this this parable that basically tells you what heavy metal is and why those who appreciate it are so entranced by its its power and its beauty. Well, see, now I feel bad for saying that the open world was where I started to have, I guess, problems <laughs> with the with the game. In that, you know, the, a lot of the side missions were very very basic. Go here, kill yeah. these things. You know, races, delivery missions. Uh, and yeah, and as as fun as collectibles can be, uh, I was coming to this off the back of uh, finding all a hundred pigeons in Grand Theft Auto Four, which nearly actually triggered <laughs> uh, a mental breakdown for me. There was I, I was sitting up every night till about three in the morning, and and at that point, that was when I gave up on 
collectibles and uh, achievement hunting. So, it, <laughs> it, and it all felt as as great as the world is. It all felt very surface, if you kind of get what I mean. It just was there was lots to see, lots to drive around, and but very little in the way of kind of real interaction uh, yeah. with the world, which. Uh, you know, I guess you know there's there, there's a lot already in the game. It's not that there's a shortage of content, but uh, it it felt like I don't know when I you know when you, when I think back to something like Psychonauts, it was a game where you had a kind of an overworld and you dig you dug deeper into that world, going into people's minds, and there was ways of exploring and different types of uh, activities that you had to do in each of the levels. And I didn't I didn't think the same level of I can't. The problem really was that I came to it expecting Psychonauts in a mm. open world based around the theme of metal, and what what we got was something very different. And I think that that probably impacted my impression of it a little. But I still think there was there was not enough depth to the open world. It's interesting that you didn't find the overworld deep enough. And actually, that's one of the things that I, I disagree on because I think the overworld to Brutal Legend is a lot like the. Uh, the world of dark souls in which you see the history of the world evident in the world around you, uh, in the legends that you unlock throughout the game, they talk about how the, uh, the race of Titans ascended and became metal gods and left this world, but they left the world with instructions on how to, how to build and how to create everything that they had created during their time. And they'd woven aspects of their own culture and of the music into the world around you and so everything kind of makes sense the the canyon walls that look like amp speakers and the cliff faces that look like uh look like giant guitars or swords like all of those are are messages left by ancient peoples that are trying to inspire that same spirit of metal in those that come after Mm, yeah, it's, it's very rich, like you know, uh, you know, visually rich. Uh, pretty much in every corner. My my favourite is the 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 wall of speakers. I forgot I forgot its proper name, but just seeing that, you know, uh, on the on the coastline, screaming wall. That's it. There we go. Yeah, it's just it just looks brilliant, and I just kind of wish I had that just at my own disposable, uh, you know, my own disposal to uh, play some loud music. The story, while it grabs me with its comedy and stuff, I, 
I, I again, I, I kind of get lost halfway through, and I just, I, you know, it's it's a, it's an obvious sort of tale of good versus evil. There's a guy called Lion White, and um, I think he's got a, a sort of a boss above him as well that's ordering him around. Um, how, how do people like like the story from start to finish? I mean, like I say, I have my my memory for stories is always absolute pony. Uh, but I was enjoy- I was enjoying it this time around until um, you know my PC went a bit funky and I lost my save. How do people find the story? I think this story has a lot of the same problems that Okami did, in that it feels like from the very beginning, like it's all leading up to one confrontation, and then once mm. you beat that boss, it's like, oh, uh, actually, there's still two thirds of the game still to go. So uh, <laughs> we're gonna just introduce new characters and not bother foreshadowing anything and. Uh, and and so yeah, it's uh, it does feel like you're rallying the enslaved um, population against this this general lion white who is this very much like glam metal like zebra print pants mm. and and giant hair metal like blonde hair and uh, makeup and everything and uh, you know kind of representing the commercialism of of glam metal in the eighties and how that kind of ruined a lot of the spirit that classic heavy metal had. And, uh, then you defeat him and you're introduced to, uh, Tim Curry as emperor Diviculus. And uh, it, it feels less focused from that point forward. Like you're just kind of encountering various obstacles as you go, kind of like double fine. Wasn't sure. Like when are we going to run out of money? Let's not do anything to, like let's not invest ourselves too deeply like let's just go on to telling short vignettes from this point forward so we can pull the plug at any time that we need to but uh, i mean throughout the game there remained lots to look at there remained a lot of things to love about the characters in the world and so it kept me going but yeah the story definitely kind of dropped off after lion white was defeated yeah i think that that um echoes back to your point earlier darren you were saying the kind of is front loaded with the comedy and there are lots of moments early on when you're being introduced to characters like there's you know the headbangers uh and it you know those you know the the anim- the way they're animated and the design of them are brilliant in in itself they're entertaining um and then you you meet all the various different start meeting all the different animals don't you like the the hogs that are half motorbike half pig and all these sorts of things help they, they you know they kind of help carry the story along but then at that you know there does become a point where it sort of takes a turn for the for the darker uh, or the more serious tone and i do think it it runs out of out, runs out of steam if not ideas but the ideas maybe aren't as well executed later i on. think this the, every now and again it kind of kept my it, it maintained my interest throughout the game but it, i i definitely would agree that it, from my own perspective it ran out of steam at the very end I felt the the sort of the end fight was a bit of an anti climax. It just it felt very by the numbers at that point, and I was just yeah just doing what it told me to do to get to the end and see what happened. But I quite liked odd moments before then, sort of uh, you know when Ophelia sort of switches sides and and goes into the sort of goth mode or whatever and stuff, and and then you know the whole jungle sequence with the Amazon, but all that stuff I thought was really kind of cool. But yeah. I don't know. Like I didn't, I didn't get bored playing it ever. But I, yeah, definitely could have. Uh, I, I would agree that you know the, the front end is where most of the humour is. Although there's there's always these little bits that you know usually down to Jack Black and what he says as you're going around. And I quite like some of his sort of like little 
squeals or, or, or yell, yells when he's, uh, you know, you're doing the finishing move and stuff. Some of that stuff amused me. Yeah, uh, speaking of like, um, you know, one-liners and stuff, I did find that the overworld, you hear a lot of the same one-liners from my, you know, either your allies or enemies. Uh, we're just going around kicking ass. I heard that about 20 times in a minute. It was just like, oh man, like if they could have put some variety in this, uh, in these one-liners, <laughs> these lines of dialogue from the uh, from the NPCs. But yeah, you know, the story is is what it is. You know, it's, it's all... It's all very fun at the start here, but I do feel like it wanes near the end. And uh, for me, it was, it's kind of forgettable, the, the, the latter half of the game. I guess story-wise, it gets into a little bit of the darker stuff. You're always kind of marching towards the Sea of Black Tears, which is where uh, all of the trouble is emerging from. And so the the music that you are introduced to starts getting darker and heavier and the theme of the story starts getting darker and heavier. And I feel like it was true to the exploration of the genre of music, but it, it didn't necessarily create the most balanced like storytelling experience, but it was definitely like, it was definitely intentional and it was definitely walking down a road. Yeah. yeah I hear that. But yeah, we mentioned them, um, the earlier, earlier, what Brian did the headbangers They're They're sort of like, they're sort of where you, where you get the first inkling of this game starting to change, starting to evolve in front of you. And uh, you sort of, you do a battle cry in front of them, I think, and or it's, it might be a different move, but you sort of use your guitar to sort of play a solo and it awakens these guys and, you know, they're headbangers. So they're, they're nodding their head back and forth rather viciously, uh, so much so that their neck has like the biggest muscles on their body. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Like it just looks wicked. And when I saw that, it kind of looked like maybe they had a glitch in the studio one day where like that muscle kind of got a bit too big in, in, a, in a bug maybe somewhere. And they're like, eh, hey, just keep it. It looks really good. Like Tomb Raider. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um, you start you start taking control of these headbangers like in large mobs, and you're directing them around. Not too dissimilar to Overlord, you know, the, uh, that Codemaster sort of strategy game, which is sort of similar to Pikmin in a, in a strange way. And you are ordering these guys around with a D pad, you know, like follow me, stay here, you know, attack on sight, and all this. And you kind of see that this game's, like I said earlier, changing and evolving in front of you, and you end up, you know, you end up fighting General Lion White. To the, the most infamous part about this game that when you mention Brutal Legend to people, they almost certainly bring it up straight away as either a good point or a bad point. It's usually more negative than positive, but the real-time strategy element of this game comes as a surprise to pretty much everyone. Am I right in saying that? Because for me, it was like, oh God, what's going on? Yeah, but by the time I got around to playing it, which was probably about six or seven months after it came out, I knew I'd, I'd already heard what people were were you know all the criticism and stuff but the funny thing is i actually like real-time strategy games and i actually like real-time more more controversially i like real-time strategy games on the consoles (laughs) so (laughs) i've never been like a mouse and keyboard player i've always played with a a joypad and i've never had a problem with them and maybe it's because i've got no reference point with with you know mouse and keyboard that i I, you know i i can see completely understand how that genre can be improved with that stuff. But when it came to this game, I didn't have any problem with it. And I didn't really feel... I, I kind of like that mixture of genres and, and mixing it up a bit. And I found the fights quite interesting. You know, the the, the different groups, you know, you had the, the guys lumping the speakers around, you had the headbangers and, you know, they, they were all kind of the sort of the obvious types, you know, like you've got your tanks or whatever, but... I, I quite liked it, you know, I just, I mean, I played it on easy as well, so that stuff never got 
to a point where I was stuck with it. It just I would always win every damn fight anyway, so it came it did come as a surprise to me the the, the RTS angle and, and like you Jay I am uh, a fan of uh RTSs, maybe less so on the console. I did you know when I uh, got after uh getting a PC I you know, Command and Conquer was one of the, the first games I got and I remember wasting hours on, on that and uh, the old Warcraft as well. So I'm not I wasn't against the idea of it. Um I just I just found that for me I mean, you mentioned it earlier, Darren, but it, it just felt like this really awkward genre mash of God of War, Zelda, Pikmin, and you know, Command and Conquer, and it, I, it felt very unfocused to me. And when they started bringing in these elements, they didn't—they—they'd introduce you to an element, uh, you know, an RTS strategy element, and then it might switch back to you know the the kind of hack and slash gameplay for a, a couple more missions and then it would bring back the rts thing again and you just i never felt like you got the opportunity to get really good at the rts elements of it before the end sort of game rolled round, and then you know at the end there was a i thought there was quite a, a difficulty spike for the very last uh battle and i just yeah it was it was this a drip feed of, of new mechanics that made it feel like a sort of 10 hour tutorial just for the for the for the last mission, but not actually ever giving you enough time to practice to get good at that that aspect of the game. There is a multiplayer mode that is just this uh, RTS type gameplay that you can play against. You could play as the multiple factions with their different units. And I know that uh, Tim Schafer is on every once in a while and plays against various people who have uh, who are still playing the game online. Uh, which I've never really touched the multiplayer, but. Uh, it seems to be a competent enough system if that's what you're into. But for me, and I think for a lot of the people who played it, this wasn't really what I wanted with Brutal Legend. This isn't how I wanted to engage with the world. But it makes sense with the storyline because it's all about kind of like raising up an army and fighting a great war to retake the land. But eh, I don't know. It wasn't really what and, I was into. And putting into. on a show. You know, you're a roadie. You're putting on a big, yeah, a big event, a big show. And that would, you know... Fully thematically, it, it it does work, but it was just that I think yeah. Schaefer himself even admitted that they just didn't do enough. Uh, they didn't have enough time to introduce all the different elements that they had in the game, uh, and it was to the point where you got to the end of the game and you did, there were there were there were moves that you could do, there were things you could perform within the RTS scenario that you just didn't know were possible unless you read up about it or read a guide or just you know stumbled on it by chance. Yeah, I guess to some extent, uh, for for myself, it was. Uh, you know the charm of those, the 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 sort of you know you you bases the stage and all that kind. Of, I liked all that stuff. But I guess it just I just found it quite quirky. But then maybe I was you know it, it was like it was uh, double fine. So I kind of expected quirk. No, uh, yeah the um the introduction to yet another kind of genre within brutal legend was a surprise to me. Um, I think all the advertising beforehand didn't really allude to. You know, we knew it was kind of a, an open worldish game, so that wasn't a surprise. But the the whole RTS thing for me wasn't a problem. Like I was just like, okay, like you know, I get to explore a different you know avenue of this game, and you know, it didn't evolve over time as much as I'd like it to. I kind of wish, you know, it, it kind of felt, I kind of felt like I was playing the game, but it had like uh, like kind of like visible meters in a way. Like, like I was constantly. It's hard to explain, but like I didn't really feel like I was challenged by these bits until the last until the last one. Like it was kind of just like, oh, I've, my my number of limit of amount of units on screen isn't 
isn't full, I'll just order any units and just order them around. Like, you know, you can get different ones. Like Jay said, you can get the headbangers and the girls with these shotguns, well, the, the, the guns and the guys on the bikes and stuff. But I didn't really feel like, for me personally, they didn't really have much of um, an impact. Whereas if you're playing, and I know it's an unfair comparison, but if you're playing something like StarCraft and you order a type of unit and it's the wrong kind of unit, you're knackered. And uh, I kind of wish it, the game had a bit more Yeah, but that, that's kind of, that's a hardcore game though, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I kind of wish that, I'm not saying I wish Brutal Legend was StarCraft. I kind of wish that my decisions made on the battlefield had an impact as to what was happening. Like if I just ordered anything, it just seemed fine. It was just like, oh, okay. I ordered some dudes and ordered them around and it, they, it, it kind of just felt like it was happening in front of me. And maybe that's for the best for, um, for a game that wasn't advertising that feature, maybe it was just it was for the best that you know you could sort of just you know go through um, and win these battles regardless of what was happening. Maybe maybe that's just me. I'm not too sure, but yeah, the RTS stuff was yeah it was good fun. I, you know, especially when you get your wings. Uh, you know, later on he sort mm. of um, yeah. he, he sprouts wings in a, in a quite a, a, I don't know, quite a horrible scene actually. It kind of I actually felt his pain when he was growing those wings, and then you know obviously because he's early rigs and he's cool, he he takes them on. And he, he, he's loving life and he's, he's flying around the battle. And you, you do have a lot more agency over the field. And it kind of feels more like an RTS then when you, you have a bird's eye view of the map. Well, not bird's eye, but you know, an elevated view of the map. And it, it is a bit more manageable. <clears throat> so when you're on the battlefield on, this, on these strategy moments, you, um, your currency is fans. And to get these fans, you, there are fan geezers like, or geysers. Basically, these souls spewing out of these, um, these fountains. And you have to build sort of stage elements around them. And it feeds back into your main stage, which is basically your command center, your actual base. And yeah, I really like the aesthetic of it all. It really makes sense. Like the, the, the amount of thought gone into it is, is, is genius. And, um, but when you see all those bits sort of time lapse build in front of you and stuff, I, yeah, I really appreciate what they did. And even though this is playing it second time round, I was just like, oh, okay. Yeah. These, these things are, it, it kind of felt more of an obstacle. First time round for me, I was, you know, I was, I was happily enjoying my, um, my RTS moments, and I'm like, I'm like EJ. I, I, I'm quite fascinated with um, RTS on consoles. I think it's quite a. Like, I play quite a few of them. Thinking about it, like on 360 in particular, like Lord of the Rings, Battle for Middle Earth, and stuff. Like they kind of have their own. <laughs> they kind of have their own sort of flavour, you know. Like they're not as hardcore as a Red Alert or a Starcraft. They kind of they got their own pace to them because of the controller. But I kind of like that pace, like Halo Wars but as well. Had, well, the thing is with me, I've never I never play them competitively. I always play. Mm. against the machine I'll never play online and I don't play against other people and so I've, perhaps I've only got a very sort of distilled perspective on them anyway um, just because I, I mean to say that I've never I've tried them a few times and it's been horrendous like you know just you just get annihilated
So yeah, the RTS uproar probably affected the sales of the game. I'm not too sure. But the RTS element is in fact the whole basis of the multiplayer as far as I'm concerned. I didn't, I'd never actually pressed the button that said multiplayer and entered that area of the game. Um, anyone else check out the multiplayer or is it just a, like, is it, it was one of those games that was sign of the times where you had to have a multiplayer component to put it on the back of your box. Whereas, well, I guess with Brutal Legend, if you were to do an RTS single player only game, you'd probably get a million questions saying, where's the multiplayer? So it's, it's a damned if you do, a damned if you don't situation. Anyone else play some MP multiplayer? No, I, I never, I never, I never really gave it a go. But I don't think I'm not sure if it was just a something that they felt they had to 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 squeeze in there. From what I, from what I've read about it, it was it, it was almost that they were challenging themselves because they'd never built a multiplayer uh, game before and they wanted to to mm. do that. And I, I don't I I don't have a source for this, but I'm I'm sure I read it somewhere around the time that you know the 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 idea was that you know the the RTS game proper doesn't really start until you hit the multiplayer and essentially Schaefer was kind of encouraging people to see the single player game you know as a, as a great self-contained story but that also as a kind of training ground for you then to move in and play this continual you know multiplayer uh you know online you know three-way battle thing that they had going with the different factions I don't know so it's a bit of a hard sell when mm. you know the 360 at that point was kind of at its height for Xbox Live you know, there were so many games to be playing anyway. I can't, you know, fair enough. They made the effort, and you know, it's a, it's a, it's a check thing on the back of the box. But I can't. Well, it was evident that no one played it. There's proof of it. But yeah, even back then, I was just like, is this really essential? Nah, probably not. But you know, fair enough. They 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 gave it a go. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's maybe it was sign of the times at the time, but it was. Mm. Um, I always think it's it's we it always feels like you're doing a disservice by saying you know they had to you know that they just crammed this in they just threw it out there at the last minute and this with any game that adds multiplayer because obviously there's a lot of thought and and effort mm. and work that goes into it but it, you know sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't but the thing is I've for myself I've gotten quite selective about these things like I don't it's like the Assassin's Creed and and um, Mass Effect games, you know, I didn't even. I think I've played one game of of, of the Assassin's Creed multiplayer over the time that it's been yeah. incorporated into games, and I haven't even looked at the Mass Effect stuff. And it's just certain games, I, I just, I'm not interested. I'm just, I don't, you know. There's a lot of other multiplayer stuff, particularly these days, and and even back in 2009, there were dedicated multiplayer games, games that you bought solely for the multiplayer experience and and i've always kind of balanced between the two i don't i don't want to be online with every game i don't want to play with other people on every game and brutal legend to me kind of fell into that category where i just wanted to enjoy the story and and, and, you know play it in my own time when i wanted to and in the way that i felt i wanted to and you know just just enjoy the effort that they put into the single player and you know the multiplayer really didn't come up on my radar I had no real issues with the the RTS stuff. It's just you know I don't play that stuff competitively for most of the time anyway. I usually play against AI if I play at all. You know. Let's go back and talk about that final mission in the game, though that final stage battle against Emperor Diviculus and the Tainted Coil. And we all kind of mentioned that it was a huge difficulty spike, but I feel like it was kind of an unfair battle. Like it, 
Hmm. There were points in the battle. Uh, your, your main your main task was to destroy two giant like dragon heads, and after you defeat the first one, the enemy is just loaded with units that come out of nowhere and at no point does the battle feel fair like you are competing on the same plane as everyone else it just i don't know it's hugely frustrating and i had a a real problem with it both times that i played yeah yeah i've got a uh, yeah if memory serves you know because it was um probably did the same thing and you just yeah probably had several attempts at trying to work out how to how to get past it but yeah i don't think i had to redo it a lot of times but i think for the f- for the final one that you know the final time i did it and i actually completed it it must have taken a good half hour or so to get it because it was kind of a, a bit of a uh, a battle to constantly t- try and stay in the game and you know keep enough of your units to protect your your base or your uh, i can't even remember what what you were protecting was it, did you have a stage at that point or was it just towers that you had or something oh you did have a stage yeah, so it was just it just you're right. It felt it felt unfair, and you were constantly you know as Eddie constantly flying backwards and forwards up the uh, in the field of play, and it it was just not. You know what it actually reminded me of? It actually reminded me of playing a multiplayer RTS online because yeah. it's like you know you, like I've played you know I've tried as as mentioned earlier the, the the battle for middle earth game was one of that i did try and play with against other people and you know i'm i'm a, i'm a quite a patient player so i'd rather sort of build up my resources build up my defenses and then start sending things out to attack but most people when they're playing this stuff will just bombard you with heavy units the, the quickest and heaviest unit they can make at speed and they send them out and they just keep bombarding you with these things it felt like that it felt like constantly i'm getting hammered and nothing units are getting destroyed and i'm like oh, what the and you just yeah it, it felt like i was playing against people <laughs> which is probably where the level of frustration came in it's like i don't want to play against i want to play against ai that i can i can you know second guess and beat <laughs> without this kind of level of frustration but yeah, I guess it, you know. I don't know, but it's it's strange as to why they chose to go that way, but with it as well. I was gonna say it came as a surprise to me this fight because it's sort of like you see the the three guys in front of the two dragon heads or whatever kind of heads they are, and you know Eddie Riggs has got his black makeup on now and he's all you know he's all ready for the final battle. And I didn't really expect the the stage to sort of build behind him at this point. And um, you know, like I say, my memory's terrible, but I do remember thinking, oh man, like another. Another one of these yeah. right at the end. You can sort of you can feel the pace of the game picking up, and you kind of want the ending to not happen, but you kind of want to see what happens for the ending. You know, you kind of want to see the end because you have played all this time getting it, and then it kind of feels like the biggest high jump ever in getting over this hurdle. It was um, it was a bit too much. Yeah, but then it leads on to another like the, the final final boss fight, doesn't it? Which is very much more mm. of a kind of traditional Zelda type, uh, you know, three or four hits. Uh, and he's down type of fight, and I think that really underscored for me the kind of split personality of of the game. That it, you know, even in the end game, it didn't kind of know what it wanted to be. It didn't know what it wanted to leave you with as a memory of the experience. You know, there was RTS, there was you know, character action. Then you're thrown back into a, an open world, driving around doing side missions. It was just, yeah, as I said earlier, it's just an awkward mash of inspirations and influences. Let's roll on to the community feedback. Uh, surprisingly, very few. Um, I'm not too sure if that's an in- indicator of people who 
play the game or just didn't want to talk about it anymore. Just banish it from their minds. So Andy Kurosaki says, Really wanted to love this game. Can't beat some quality metal and this game had a great track list. The previews were promising so I picked it up on day one. And for the most part I really enjoyed it. The story was crazy, the combat was satisfying and I liked driving around the open world. Then I reached the RTS section and really struggled. I'm awful with those types of games. My resource management skills are, ba- are pretty bad. I managed the first couple but once they got a bit more complicated I was royally boned. I kept failing over and over again to the point of giving up. Months later I went back to it, greeted my teeth and got those f***ers over with. And the rest of the game remained over the top fun. So yeah, most of it was great, but man, those RTS bits. Smonkey 2 says, As someone with a love for classic rock and metal and video games, I knew I had to buy this game as soon as I played the demo on the 360. I got the game on four days before the launch thanks to a slip-up by the game and the Royal Mail and had a blast playing through it, even though I didn't really have much of an interest in RTS games. I found the unique aesthetic and unusual mix of genres very enjoyable, and to this day feel that this game is a real diamond in the rough that didn't get a chance to shine due to games such as Arkham Asylum, Dragon Age Oranges, Left 4 Dead 2, and Assassin's Creed 2 coming out in the same year. I never really dabbled with the multiplayer much, mainly due to not being able to find a match most of the time due to relatively unpopulated servers. Though I enjoyed the different playstyles of the various factions, offering a change to the units used in the storyline. It's a shame that a sequel will almost definitely never happen now, as I feel that this is one of the most creative new IPs from the last generation. That's quite a roster of games that he lined up there. Is, um, you can only buy so many of them, can't you, really? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. Um, so yeah, moving on to the Twitter three-word reviews. Smonkey 2 says, Cabbage Boy suck. Andy Hamilton says, My greatest disappointment. Babyface Bambina, really great concept. Steve Robinson, fantastic art direction. Brad Galloway, very deceptive demo. Ryan Astley, style over substance. Patrick Smith, actually enjoyed battles. Uh, so yeah, thanks everyone who contributed via the forum and Twitter. But yeah, we, we are going to leave this um, relatively short show compared to last week's one um, with some summaries of the game uh, starting with myself so yeah Brutal Legend for me uh, at the time back in 2009 I, I really enjoyed it you've heard it throughout this podcast I really enjoyed the words presented in front of, in front of you and the the uh, the various genres within one game I found quite impressive at the time uh, playing it again recently I, I did find it to be a little bit of a chore or more not, not, less of a chore, more of a hurdle. You know, it's kind of like this time around, I wanted to see where the story took me and play placing these RTS moments in the middle of the story kind of felt like it was um, sort of padding for time. You know, I, I appreciate they put a lot of effort into these um, RTS moments, but for me, it was just kind of like, it's not why I came to this heavy metal world again for, uh, you know, this is me fully knowing what the hell is going on as well. But yeah, um, it's it's you know it's a double fine game through and through. Probably if you were other than Grim Fandango, which was another game that had boundless creativity and sold like four copies, like these two games are sort of like the the things you point at of like double fine sort of most imaginative work, I guess. Like it's just so full of stuff. And if uh, like we said earlier, if you're if you're a fan of this genre and you want to you know poke around this world, you're going to find so much that are sort of 
uh, in any way, shape or form will, you know, make you laugh, make you like, go, oh yeah, yeah, you know, they are genuine fans of metal. Uh, you know, it is just chock full of things to do. And I do think the side missions are absolute rubbish though. Like the ones where you have the, the, the beer barrels on the back of your car. Who, whoever came up with that idea is just, sh- yeah, should have got fired. I'm, I'm joking. But yeah, I, the, yeah, the side missions for me were completely unappealing even back now as, as well as, um, back then as well as now. They're just, they're just kind of just throwaway moments, you know, um, stuff that you don't really want to do more than once. And, you know, even if you fail it once, you kind of felt like the game was unfair to you as opposed to you failing the game, uh, you know, with its fair rules. So yeah, Brutal Legend, um, even after all this time playing and competing and stuff, I, I understand why people don't want to play the game and, you know, don't like it. But for me, I, I do believe it's, it is a good game and well worth playing. Now, because how many other games can send you to an open world heavy metal place? Like, n- not very many. So yeah, check it out. You've probably got it in a in a humble bundle somewhere. It's probably lurking around your Steam folder. Just just install it and check it out. Uh, yeah, Jay. I like. I guess. I mean, I'd, I'd I had Psychonauts before and played Psychonauts before. I played Brutal Legend and, but Double Fine wasn't a, a developer I was paying that much attention to. You know, for whatever reason. Um, but Brutal Legend was the game that actually made them, cemented them on my radar as because of how humorous, uh, you know, the script was, uh, the 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 clear uh, passion and and sort of love that had gone into this. Even if in parts it's a bit of a mess and a little disjointed in its sort of styles of play. And I, you know, I enjoyed playing through it. I enjoyed, you know, I've played through I think three times in total through the game, and and there's a lot to love about it. Um, and it's humorous. I mean, it's the thing that that's it's always that obviously Double Fine are known for their their humor in their games, and I think they're one of the few developers that actually is genuinely funny in their writing. You know, they just they have a knack for real comedy. Um, and this game's a good example of that. Some of the sort of the jokes and some of the, the sort of the lines that you know the character script in general is just amusing. I kind of think, whilst obviously they went through some quite sort of financial struggles after this game, or because of this game in in some ways, because of the, it being a, a I guess a commercial failure. Brutal Legend has kind of formed this the studio who is in part. Be- responsible for where they've gone in the time since so their experience with this game have have made them a better studio the games they've been making have been really good you know i think that they've become a stronger studio through their experiences with Mm. brutal legend whichever way you know for you know they went through some pretty harsh times and i think they they came out stronger for it and i think it, it 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 gave them pause for thought they they sort of reset themselves as a studio in, in where they were going to go with the games. And they started making, although Brutal Legend is a very personal project, you know, you feel that, you know, Schaefer clearly has a lot invested in the, in the, in the story. In many ways, they've kind of amplified that with the games they've made since. And, you know, foregoing the sort of disc-based product as well and going for a sort of, albeit a kind of smaller in presence downloadable uh, titles, but in in some ways they've they've gone from strength to strength with those games. And I think, you know, 
whatever you think of Brutal Legend, I think that, you know, it's done some good for them as a studio to go through the experience of making the game and stuff. Brian? Well, I should start by saying that uh, I approached this game in entirely the wrong way. Uh, for starters, I was overhyped for it. And secondly, I wanted Psychonauts, but in a different wrapping, which is a bad thing to want from a studio like Double Fine, which prides itself on you know, coming up with new ideas and doing things differently. So although I was sold on the world, I was sold on the theme, you know, it's a beautiful looking game full of really great art design, really lovely touches. I, I felt like a lot of the the effort and the ideas went on the the creating of the world of the art and the design and the actual kind of gameplay itself suffered as a result in that it was a mishmash of different ideas pulled from different sources and kind of cobbled together in a package that didn't entirely support it. Mission design-wise, Darren, you mentioned side missions uh, in your uh, summary as being as being dull, but there were elements of the main game as well, aside from some of the, you know, excellent, uh, you know, uh, hack and slash or, uh, you know, action battles early on. I didn't really care for the RTS stuff as much, but there were some really dreadful escort missions, missions where you're having to round up animal characters while driving a car, which were just, you know, an exercise in frustration. Uh, it, it kind of left me not, I didn't, I don't have ill will towards the game i enjoyed the time i spent with it and i'm i'm grateful that uh that double fight and tim schaefer in particularly in particular were able to you know have this idea develop it and bring it to fruition and you know send it out into the world it's not a game that i would want to necessarily return to regularly and it's not a game that i would necessarily recommend to people as bad as i feel saying that because you know it Double Fine's a studio that deserves support and that, you know, should be applauded for its sort of creative approach to game design. But it's just, it it wasn't what I wanted. And it's unfair to go approach a game, comparing it to another game and wanting it to be like that game. But, you know, you can't help but, you know, what you bring to things. So, yeah, so for that reason, I don't, I don't think I'd recommend it unless you're the kind of person that, you know, wanted to give some money uh, to Double Fine to help support them, to help them con- continue to develop. But there's plenty of other games that they've released uh, in the past and since that, that that your money could go on. And last but no means least, Mr. Metal Man himself, Ryan. Uh, yes, I, I I do have a tremendous amount of affection for the heavy metal genre and kind of all of its various iterations and uh, sub-genres and styles. And what I love about Brutal Legend is that it is able to to really grasp the spirit of that subculture, the spirit of the music itself, all these these difficult, intangible things, and it, it's able to mold that into a world that people can interact with, that people can observe and see and be a part of. And that is an unbelievable that they were able to to accomplish with the amazing art direction of this title and the uh, really sharp writing, the characters, the you know everything works together. Uh, yeah, and so I I really applaud Tim Schafer's vision on this one. 
and this is the world that I love to be a part of and love to exist in, but I also feel more divided about this game and more of a split mind about Brutal Legend than I do about just about any other game that I've ever played. There are parts of this game that I absolutely adore, and you know, I just love driving around that world in that awesome car with the uh, with the great heavy metal music blasting out of the radio, and you know, jumping over the the swamps and the jungles and the icy mountain peaks and the the desert expanses, and but at the same time, the actual tasks that you are uh, are charged with in the game the RTS battles and the side missions are kind of lacking. They're not things that I inherently enjoy. And if they were set in pretty much any other game world, I wouldn't bother to play the game. But there is so much there in the way that the world is constructed and in the way that the artistry comes together. I don't know, I have tremendous affection for it and also tremendous indifference towards parts of the experience and it's difficult to come up with a with a summary of my feelings because I am so divided on the game but I, I would say that I would recommend it not only for metalheads who of course will be able to connect with uh, with the themes and with the style that the game is conveying but also to those who don't yet understand metal and who want to engage in that conversation in a way that is accessible to them it's kind of like having a brand new meal prepared for you and then having the chef sit down with you at the table and explain to you why all of the different tastes and uh, all of the different pieces of food are arranged in such a way and, you know, walking you through, this is the wine that you're supposed to have with this meal. And here's a great cheese that will complement this. Like it is a, it's a guided tour of heavy metal and everything that makes it powerful and awesome. And so, yeah, for those of you who aren't necessarily, who don't have a, a tremendous affection for metal, uh, I'd say give it a go. Uh, you know, at least explore the world, listen to the music on the radio, uh, and just see if if it starts to click and if it starts to become something that that you understand and you can have that that interaction with. Thank you very much for your summaries. Um, it is time for us to disappear into the sunset go to bed basically so yeah thank you very much ryan brian and jay this has been uh darren Gorget hosting the cana lynch cana lynch god there's, there's a freudian slip for you the cana rinse podcast for brutal legend join us next time for team fortress 2 thank you very much goodbye <laughs>